Please turn your Bibles now to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. And if you're using the chair Bibles around you, you can find it on page 891. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him there on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said on the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are everyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And so, Lord, today we come and we acknowledge that we hunger and thirst, but it's oftentimes not for you and for righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask that even right now that you would kindle within each one of us a hunger and a thirst for you, the bread of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a quote that's often attributed to Martin Luther. He said, We are all mere beggars, showing other beggars where to find bread. Now that summarizes my job as your pastor pretty well. 
Um, as your pastor, I, I don't make the meal for you to feast on. Instead, I'm here as a mere beggar who has found bread, the only satisfying and life-giving bread. And, and today I share that bread with you. Uh, I, I didn't make the bread. It was freely given to me. And so then today, throughout, the, throughout this message, but also throughout the entire service, uh, my, my goal is, is to give you this meal, to give you this bread, to tell you of how good it is, that it will give you life, life forever, and it will sustain you through life's sorrows and the darkest of valleys. It will satisfy you far more than anything else. But as the proverb uh, says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So I can lead you today to the bread of life. I can lay him before you, uh, uh, Jesus Christ. But I can't make you eat of him. I cannot control the spiritual hungers in your heart. Only the Spirit of God can awaken those hungers and give you the ability to eat of him in faith. So may God... Uh, give us his spirit to, to do that work within us to cultivate these spiritual hungers for God. So how, how have you come to worship today? Uh, did you come hungry and ready to feed on Jesus and receive all of his promises and blessings? Or are you here merely just to sing hymns, listen to an inspiring message, uh, give to a charitable organization that benefits the community, uh, or to just catch up with friends and family over a cup of coffee. Or maybe you're, you're like me and, and you come to church and you're often just really distracted. A lot of things are going on uh, in your mind and it's hard to focus on worshiping Jesus. You come distracted with thoughts about uh, work that's going to, uh, the work you have on Monday, or, or you start thinking about the people you need to connect with after the service, or, or maybe there's something that's really heavy on your heart. Uh, and so you struggle to live in the present right now and to, to focus on hearing the word of God and, and believing on Jesus Christ and receiving all that he has for you. So, uh, so if, if, if that's you, just uh, take some time now to, to focus in and, and uh, ask God to help you uh, to uh, feast upon him right now. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Chris preached on the beginning of John chapter 6. And the chapter began uh, not with spiritual bread like what we're, what we're talking to, about today, but rather it began with just physical bread. Uh, five loaves to be exact. It's with five loaves and two fish that Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. He, he multiplied these few pieces of food to satisfy everyone who was there and ate. In verse 15, we saw that this miracle put the people in such awe of Jesus uh, that they were uh, uh, they, they tried to take him by force to make him their king. Now, if uh, if we weren't so familiar with Jesus' story here, uh, perhaps we would think that Jesus would have uh, just taken this opportunity for power and influence. But instead, he didn't. Instead of sticking around these people who are you know, they, they're worshiping him from a worldly perspective. He actually goes away by himself to a mountain to pray to his heavenly father. So in John 6, Jesus first satisfies physical hunger. And now we enter this passage and Jesus offers himself to us as food, as the bread of life that will forever satisfy so today we're going to first see how Jesus exposes sinful hungers. 
in our hearts. And then we're going to consider how Jesus satisfies spiritual hunger. And then we'll end with Jesus' promise that all who eat of him will live forever. Let's first look at verses 22 through 26. Here we see Jesus expose sinful or worldly hungers. In verse 22 through 24, we read that the crowds were trying to find Jesus, even getting into boats and traveling across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. In verse 25, they finally find him and they said, they said, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now they say that because they didn't know that Jesus had walked on water across the Sea of Galilee. And then uh, in verse 26, Jesus responds to them. Uh, But as he just does in so many of his conversations with people, uh, he doesn't answer their question um, at all. But instead, he cuts straight to the heart. He gets right to spiritual matters that are of utmost importance. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. All right, so why were the crowds following Jesus? It says here that they were seeking to see a sign that would confirm again. Um, um, they, they were seeking him because they, Jesus had just filled their stomachs the day before and now uh, uh, their, their stomachs were empty. They were physically hungry. They weren't seeking Jesus to 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 look for a sign that would confirm that he's a Messiah so that they would follow him. No, they wanted something to eat. They wanted something to be in awe of. Jesus didn't want to, want to explain how he walked across the sea. That would distract them from what he needed to teach them right now. Jesus wanted to expose their hearts' sinful motivations for pursuing him. And in doing so, he also wants to expose our hearts as well. Why do we follow Jesus? What motivations are are behind why we come uh, to worship today? Why we claim the name of Christ? Jesus exposes the human heart here that, that oftentimes, behind people's decisions to follow after Jesus, there's often sinful motivations or, or, or sinful hungers. Not everyone follows after Jesus out of faith. Not everyone who says that they're a Christian truly is a Christian. Not everyone who goes to church is there to worship Jesus, and especially in our American culture. Uh, Pastor and author Tim Keller says that there are three types of people in the world. There are those who do not follow Christ at all, either in word or in deed. Then there are those who follow Christ for their own sake, for their own self-centered benefit. And then there are those who follow Christ for his sake and his sake alone. So which person are you? I'm not asking you to think about who you think the people around you are right now. Who are you? Or perhaps, who do you want to be? To help us discern our heart's motivations for following Jesus, let's consider uh, what are some of the different motivations 
that people can have for, for saying uh, that they're a Christian or going to church. These, these motivations and hungers that are of this world. Let's start first by looking at some examples in the Bible. Uh, for example, um, early on in Jesus' ministry, uh, his own brothers followed him for popularity. They were trying to reap the benefits of having, having a, a brother that could do miracles. And we, we see, we're going to see this in John chapter 7 in, in the next chapter. Um, it says that not even his brothers believed in him. They were trying to tell Jesus, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's have you go to Jerusalem. They, they wanted Jesus to do some big miracles there. They wanted to take the show on the road, you could say, and reap the benefits of having a brother who was popular. Thankfully, I, I do believe his brothers ended up coming around to him in faith later. Uh, but early on, it was not that way. Then, of course, we have the example of Judas. And we know that Judas followed after Jesus for money. Then we see in the book of Acts, we see Ananias and Sapphira. They followed for some unknown motivation. We, we don't know why. Uh, but undoubtedly, it was a self-serving reason. Later on in Acts, we have the example of Simon the Magician, who it looked like he was initially repentant and following after Jesus, turning away from his, his, uh, his, his, uh, his, his magic, his witchcraft. Um, but, but then it becomes clear that he just was after power. He wanted the Holy Spirit because he wanted the power to do amazing things like heal people. So those are some, some biblical examples. Um, in our own day... Uh, in a day and age where it's legal and still somewhat popular to be a Christian, there's many reasons why people follow Jesus or go to church for their own sake. Uh, some go to church because of the political culture of that church. Uh, that could be conservative or it could be liberal. You know, either spectrum, um, people do this. They, they see the Christian church mainly as a massive force for political gain. This is actually a similar motivation to what the crowds had for wanting to make Jesus uh, the king of their geopolitical nation of Israel. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is global and multicultural and spans across all time and its goal is to proclaim the gospel of freedom from sin and Satan. Uh, there are others who are motivated to go to church because... Uh, they know people there, or they want to meet new people. Uh, they've, they've got friends, maybe uh, family at church, and so they're, they're connected to them. And so, by default of being connected to them, they are then connected to Jesus. Uh, perhaps, um, uh, maybe they're at church to find a spouse, a spouse who is a moral and upright person. But Jesus will not play second fiddle to your social life. You must follow Christ for his own sake. Uh, there are others who are motivated to go to church in order to give their children a, a moral upbringing. And they look to bring their children to church in order to instill positive uh, values and a morality that puts others first. But Jesus isn't interested in, in, uh, in, in, in making your children moral American citizens. He wants to show them their sin, their immorality, and to save them. He wants to make them not, not merely uh, moral Americans, 
but holy citizens of heaven. There are also others who are motivated to follow Jesus uh, because of some great sorrow or tragedy. You guys remember, um, for those of you that are old enough, do you remember how church attendance rose the Sundays immediately after 9-11? So many people came to church. But then as the weeks and months progressed, um, the churches were, were less filled. So many will start attending church when some national tragedy hits or, or on a personal level, maybe someone that they know has died um, or, or maybe they themselves have been struck with an illness. They attend church uh, for momentary comfort and consolation. But then once their fears or sorrows have passed and they feel secure within themselves again, they stop attending and continue on their worldly pursuits. They hunger for security and comfort, but not for the bread of life. Well, the list of worldly motivations could go on and on. Um, And as you can see, people attend church for all sorts of reasons. And and it's not that all of these reasons and hungers, desires in and of themselves are are, are sinful, uh, but... But are they the only reason? Is, there, is, is, is Jesus just completely uh, pushed off to the side? These can be self-serving reasons. People, as we can see, they can be hungry for a social life, for political gain, keeping tradition, for sentimental feelings, for feelings of comfort and security. Maybe they're hungry for a self-made morality and, and having a good public image. People thirst for many blessings that can be found by going to church, but they do not thirst for the fountain of all blessings, for Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. So I ask once again, which person are you? Are you following Jesus for his sake and for his sake alone or or for the sake of something else? Maybe a good diagnostic question to ask our hearts is this. If following Christ meant losing some of the things that you enjoy about being a Christian, would you still follow him? If it meant losing your social life, if it meant losing sentimental feelings, if it meant losing feelings of comfort and security, if it meant losing the sense that you're just a good person and that's all you are, if you lost all that, would you still follow Jesus? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Him? Are you willing to kill sin? Are you willing to deny yourself of many desires and comforts for the sake of His kingdom? Are you willing to commit to following Christ all of your days? Lord Jesus, he sees the depths of our hearts and and, uh, our our motivations. He sees things that we can't even see. Sometimes our hearts get really dark and messy and we can't even figure out what's going on inside of ourselves. But Jesus sees that. um, And and he sees that we we all have these motivations, these ill motivations. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, even even as Christians, that's not something that automatically just goes away. Once you become a Christian, there can be these these old desires and motivations that that uh, that we have to fight against. 
But Jesus doesn't just leave us to wallow alone in our sinfulness and, and entangled motivations. He offers each one of us something of infinite value. He offers the bread of life, which satisfies all hungers. Look with me now at John 6, verses 27 through 34. Here we see that Jesus satisfies spiritual hunger. Let's follow along with me verse by verse here. 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus knew that the crowd was hungry for earthly food and willing to work hard to get it or at least to persuade Jesus to do another miracle. Jesus commands us not to work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he's saying that we shouldn't have jobs and go to the grocery store. Not at all what he's saying. He means that our life's greatest goal and aspirations and desires should be fixed on much greater things than, than, than putting bread on the table. Jesus wants us to set our minds on heavenly matters of infinite worth, not on really just earthly things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Also take notice here that he says that this food endures to eternal life. It doesn't just vanish once you eat of it. It lasts. It endures. Once you eat of it, it is so nutritious that you will live forever. And you can never fully digest it or fully extract all the nutrients from it. So there's no greater food. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? All right, so notice here the, the word works. It's plural, works. So remember, remember that when we get to the next verse. So we see here that the Jews, they like the sound, of, the sound of this type of food. So they asked Jesus what works they must do to get this type of food. Uh, you know, naturally, they thought they must do something to be able to, to buy this bread or to earn it or to convince Jesus to, to give it to them. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So remember how the Jews, they asked what works they should do? Plural, what works should they do? Jesus then only gives them one work, and it's not even a work at all. They are to believe in him. Jesus clearly teaches here, that, that to receive eternal life, uh, that comes through faith alone, not by good works. There's, n there's no efforts that we can do. There's, 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 there's nothing out of our own strength that we can do to get this bread of life, to get eternal life. We're to simply believe in Him. 
So this, this, this doctrine of salvation by faith alone and not by works uh, that wasn't invented uh, by, by any theologians. Uh, it, uh, wasn't, uh, it wasn't invented by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans or, or in Galatians. Uh, we, we see right here from God himself, from Jesus Christ, so we don't, we don't complement our faith with works in order to be fit enough to, to, to receive the bread of eternal life. God isn't looking for, for both saying, okay, I believe in you and here's, here's some goodness from me that I can, I can give to you to convince you to give me eternal life. No, faith is sufficient to receive eternal life. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the Jews, they still want one thing. They want physical bread for their stomachs. Uh, they're, they're trying to manipulate Jesus into performing another miracle. Hopefully one involving food, they think saying that they'll believe if he would do a miracle. Okay, so they're bartering with him. If you give us a sign, we'll give you the faith that you want. They're also smart enough to quote scripture, uh, making reference to how the Israelites were given manna in the wilderness. And so they want a sign like that. Man, we see that here that the Jews are so fickle, aren't they? I mean, just think about it. It was just the day before that they were convinced that Jesus was the prophet that Moses had prophesied about. And so they were ready to make Jesus their king. And now the very next day, they're, they're back to needing another sign uh, to, to, to confirm whether they should believe him or not. And this clearly shows that they did not want a savior and king like Jesus. They just wanted to fill their minds with amazement and uh, their stomachs with miraculous food. Verse 23. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus now teaches that his father is giving to them a bread that is better than the manna that the Israelites got. It is a bread that is not an it, but it's a he. It's a person. A person who has come down from heaven. In verse 35, Jesus reveals who that is. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is Jesus' clearest statement. He's not beating around the bush anymore about, about food or, and bread. He's bringing everyone to himself. This is a wonderful verse. This, this is a verse worth, worth memorizing. He is the bread of eternal life. He freely offers himself to everyone, saying, Whoever comes to me. 
So you can come to Jesus. Anybody can come to Jesus. You can feast upon Jesus. We see in Jesus' statement here that coming to Jesus is believing in Jesus. Believing is coming. We see the parallel. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So how do we come to, to Jesus? We, you know, we can't see him. He's not physically right here. How do we come to him? We come by faith. We come through believing. So you can feast upon Jesus. You can come to Jesus through faith. You can satisfy your soul's hunger and thirst through faith in Christ. His body was, was broken like bread so that you could eat of his, of his death. And his body was raised up so that you could eat of his eternal life and resurrection power. When you feed on Christ, when you believe on Him and rest on Him, when you are satisfied in the work of Christ on the cross for you, you receive not only Him, but you receive also all of His promises and all of the benefits and all of the privileges of being a child of God. Uh, to push the bread metaphor one step further, uh, when you eat the bread of life, what nutrients do you receive? What nutrients are in this bread? What do you spiritually digest? What graces do you receive? Well, you receive redemption and forgiveness from your sins. You receive new life, which is what we call regeneration. You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive justification, which means that's a, you, you, you get a right standing before the judge of the universe. You receive a continu and continually receive sanctification, which is a growth in Christ's likeness throughout your entire life. Uh, you also receive adoption into God's family and all the rights and privileges of being a child of God, as a, to, to, of being an heir of of, uh, of an eternal inheritance. And one day you will receive from this bread resurrection and glorification, just complete sinlessness and a glorified body. You get all of these nutrients, all of these graces and blessings with your first bite of faith. Your first bite of faith. There are also more spiritual nutrients that this bread brings. I mean, there's, there's hope. There's a guilt-free peace in your conscience. There's an assurance of your salvation that begins to grow and cultivate it. Uh, there's joy, even in the midst of trials. There's perseverance in your faith. The fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom to live your life, and, and there's even more nutrients than that. So you can never fully digest the bread of life or fully extract all the nutrients from Him. When you receive Jesus, you receive Him and all His benefits. It's all free. So come to Jesus as a, as a beggar, as one in need with empty hands, and just receive Him freely. Feast on Christ through faith. 
He will satisfy you with Himself. Now in verses 37 through 40, uh, Jesus specifically, He's going to zero in on one specific uh, nutrient of the bread of life. Specifically, he's going to focus in now on the grace of perseverance or the grace of of, uh, preservation or protection. Here he promises that all who eat of him in faith will be resurrected to eternal life. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In verse 37, we see that that behind our coming to faith in Christ, behind that reality is a sovereign God that has given us to Jesus Christ. So because the Father gave us to the Son, Jesus Christ, because that exchange happened, we have then come freely and hungrily in faith to Christ. And Jesus reassures us that that all who come to Jesus in faith will never be cast out. He will refuse no one who humbly comes to him with genuine faith and repentance. So whoever believes in him will be saved. And not only will they be saved at the moment of their conversion, Jesus also promises to protect them, to preserve them until the day of until the day that he resurrects them to everlasting life. So once Jesus saves you, he will preserve your faith. And he will guarantee, and he guarantees that you will make it all the way to heaven. So although we sin, and even as Christians we can fall into some grievous sins for a season, for a time, and although we can endure some really terrible sorrows and suffering and and, and some some doubts that can really plague us. Even though all that can happen, even during those times, our Savior is still our Savior. And He will not cast us out. The Bible talks about goats becoming sheep, but the Bible never talks about sheep becoming goats. Once we are justified, we are never unjustified. There's no word in the Bible for unjustified. We are never unsaved. Uh, We are never unadopted. Those words aren't in the Bible. Those concepts are not in the Bible. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will be raised up to eternal life. So brothers and sisters, the only reason why you have you have faith today and, and, and you haven't lost your faith and haven't just rejected Christ completely and just turned to living into your old sins again. The only reason for that is because Jesus has protected and sustained your faith. He is persevering you. 
He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You are his great workmanship. And God does not throw out his masterpieces. He, he knows that you will sin. He knows that you'll doubt. He knows that you'll at times even despair. But that is all a part of how he tests your faith and purifies it as gold is purified in fire. That's what 1 Peter 1 says. If you were just wood, the fires of life would consume you and your fake faith would be destroyed as well. But you are gold. And so you are refined by the fire, not destroyed by it. So take heart, brothers and sisters. Jesus will preserve you. He will protect you. He will persevere you on this race to the finish. The weight of our perseverance to the end, of, of, of making it on this pilgrimage all the way to heaven, that, that weight... Is, is not all on our shoulders. It's not on our shoulders because that would be a weight too great for us to bear. Instead, Jesus bears us on his shoulders and he's carrying us to the promised land. Just think of that picture of, of the good shepherd that finds the lost sheep and then carries him, puts him on his shoulders and carries him all the way home. That is what the Lord Jesus is doing for us. He's feeding us of himself, the bread of life, and so, that, and so that we will make it through the 40 years in this wilderness all the way to the land of Canaan. So no one can take you out of his hands, not even yourself. Even though you try at times to free yourself from his loving arms. Sometimes when I'm holding my one-year-old son, Owen, he can get all wriggly because there's something he wants to do. He wants to get down and he wants to go do this or that. Um, <clears throat> he wants to be freed immediately. But he doesn't know that he's perfectly safe uh, with me and, 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 uh, and he would fall to a hard landing if he got his way and got out of my grasp. And, and so, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let him go. Yeah, he's my son. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. He's mine. And so, in the same way, Christ will not let go of his beloved children. They are his, and that's of tremendous comfort for us. We are not our own. We belong to Christ. Just reminds me of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism: What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are not our own. We belong to God. We are His sheep. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. So that is a great comfort for us today. So today I've set before you the, the bread of life, comfort, food, you could say. I've set before you Jesus Christ. And so, will you eat of Him? Will you believe on Him? Not for some selfish motivation, but will you believe on Him for His own sake? 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you you came down from heaven to be the bread of life, to die in our place so that we might live. We thank you so much that you're not a God that just creates us and then just kind of has a lot of distance from us, but instead you came down to us and you even offer yourself to us and, and then you give us of your Holy Spirit that you might even dwell within us. You unite us to yourself so that we can be in relationship with you for eternity. That's amazing. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would help help us to continue on this on this pilgrimage to heaven. Help us to continue to feast on you in faith. This is a hard journey, Lord, you know. You've tasted of, of, of the sorrows of this life here. And so you, you know what we are going through. And so you offer yourself to us. And no matter what situation we're in right now, no matter what sorrows we face, no matter what sin we're just so plagued in, with temptation by, and so I ask, Lord Jesus, that, that all of your blessings from, from feasting on you in faith, that they would rise up within each one of us, that we would be daily strengthened by you, O oh God, to, to walk with endurance, to run with endurance on this race that is set before us. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen.